Welcome to Open Plaza, created by the Hispanic Theological Initiative. In this episode, Stephen DiTrolio Coakley and Dr. Rafael Vizcaino discuss liberation philosophy and anti-fetishism in Latin America. For more information about today's episode, visit htiopenplaza.org. Welcome to the HTI Open Plaza podcast. My name is Stephen Detroit Coakley, and today I have uh, the pleasure to speaking to Rafael Vizcaino, who is the assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at DePaul University. Um, it's a, a fun moment when you go from Twitter friends or email friends to, I call you a friend, um, to in real life friends. So I got to hang out with uh, Rafael for the first time at uh, AAR this year, uh, last past year in uh, San Antonio. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. And yes, we had a, a great time in San Antonio last yeah, year. Yeah, we got to hang out right there by the Riverwalk. Um, for this conversation, uh, not only do I want to focus a little bit on your story and kind of how you got to the place where you're at now, but we will later touch on an article that was published recently in the Journal of World Philosophies, Liberation Philosophy, Anti-Fetishism, and Decolonization. And we'll leave a link of that in the uh, description. But for the HCI listeners, we'd love to get to know a little bit more about you. So feel, feel as free, as detailed as you want to go where you're from, uh, and then kind of your, I would love to hear about your, your, your story, your academic interests, and how you got to writing an article such as this. Oh, my, my pleasure. Um, yeah, so like you said, I am uh, right now uh, an assistant professor in the Department of Philosophy at, at DePaul University. Um, though my uh, academic background is certainly uh, a, a bit more uh, uh, broad in a way. I, I do not have a PhD in philosophy. So that, that in itself is a, a story, but I am one of those uh, philosophers that had to leave philosophy to do the kind of philosophy that we want to do, of course. And, and I'm talking about Latin American philosophy, decolonial thought. Um, so I ended up uh, for my doctorate in the program uh, in comparative literature. Um, at Rutgers University, mm -hmm. uh, mainly to work with one of the leading decolonial uh, intellectuals of the moment, Nelson Maldonado Torres uh, from Puerto Rico. Um, so that's uh, in the um, most recent uh, intellectual uh, sort of uh, path that I have taken. Right. So we, if we can kind of walk backwards, um, yeah. I, I ended up a, a, in a comparative literature program just because of uh, what at the time was, uh, and, and of course this is something that is changing, but what at, at the time was uh, a very difficult place to study Latin American philosophy in the United States, uh, uh, philosophy departments, right? So my undergraduate degree is in philosophy um, uh, at Northwestern University in uh, outside Chicago. Uh, and then that kind of, kind of, you know, really paints the larger picture of kind of like, uh, who I am in a way, like what, what I'm about, um, because I, um, I 
and finished my high school, did my high school uh, in, the, in, in, in the Chicagoland area, in the Chicago suburbs, but I am originally from Mexico, right? So, uh, you know, I grew up in, in, in Mexico, um, basically uh, around half my life, uh, moved to the United States, to the Chicagoland area, which, which in, its, you know, in itself, maybe that's another, you know, another topic of conversation. Um, and, and, and for all this, uh, 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 for a number of factors, I, 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 uh, I ended up uh, at Northwestern uh, wanting to pursue uh, a degree in philosophy, philosophical studies. But at the time, I was not per se interested in or as interested in Latin American philosophy. Hmm. I, I went to philosophy, uh, like probably many people do, sort of intrigue about um, certain radical traditions of thought, like mm -hmm. Marxism mainly, uh, uh, German critical theory. So, so Northwestern at the time was very well known for its German critical theory uh, uh, sort of uh, focus. Uh, Jürgen Habermas and Charles Taylor uh, were, were sort of at the tail end of their careers there. When I got there, I ended up writing an undergraduate thesis criticizing Habermas. So that's kind of like the constellation of-, of Stirring the pot. Yeah. A little bit. But, you know, all, always kind of like with the Latin American, you know, obviously with the personal history of being a, a migrant, a Latin American, you know, in, in this area uh, and, and slowly kind of coming to realize that um, that the Latin American question was something that I would have to go towards, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and that, so that's what I ended up doing for for my doctorate, right? I, I I kind of like went to this place to, in a way, uh, engage uh, a, a canonical you know, Eurocentric tradition uh, of, of of theory. Uh, um, which you know, I very much uh, I thought was a, a very robust education, um, which gave me the in many ways the, the, the language to be able to criticize uh, what I would later and would end up criticizing yeah. for my uh, doctoral degree. Right. So the, the the doctoral studies, in a way, is the the decolonial turn, as Maldonado Torres puts yeah. it. Uh, uh, you know, full blown going to Fanon, Sylvia Winter. And of course, uh, uh, Enrique Dussel, uh, the, which was uh, the main reason why uh, I, I wanted to pursue uh, graduate studies in philosophy to study the work of Dussel. Uh, and the very first year, Maldonado Torres brought Dussel to, to Rutgers, right? So it was really the place for me to, to do that uh, uh, in, in the United States. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of like a, a bit of a bigger picture uh, and all of these kind of stages could really become its own, like its own door into talking about the the complexity of these life uh, life moments. Yeah, and we can do a series, but that we'll, we'll hold that one for the next time. It is interesting though that you had to go to uh, literature to be to study Latin American. I think, like you said, things are changing, um, but. Oh, across the board, it seems like anything having to do with decoloniality is tucked away into history, tucked away into uh, sociology, into different departments. But that's a, a, a side conversation. Um, before we, we continue on, I would like to ask you, so what was it about the work of Dussel that kind of stood out to you or something that resonated with you to say, 
all right, this is, this is something I'm really interested in. And, and if you could then add kind of the decolonial turn, why specifically those, those kind of two junctures? Yeah. Oh, excellent. So, um, in, in some ways, I think it, it in, and now I realize that this has been a subject of, of criticism in, in, in the reception of Dussel's work, but in many ways it, it had to do with my own uh, sort of intellectual genealogy in uh, something like German idealism and, and German critical theory, uh, that, right, that canonical philosophical education that I was uh, having uh, so many difficulties with, right? That, that, that I was reading these works that were presented as paragons of universal rationality or, or, or democratic pro, uh, progressive thinking. Uh, and, and, and they simply were not speaking to me. Um, and I, and, I, and I, I, was, I was searching for critiques and, and, and of course the, the, the critique that, uh, that you're presented with is always the, the Eurocentric critique of Eurocentrism, right? So uh, 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 the, the post-structuralist critiques of the German tradition and so on, um, which is also something that, that did not speak to me. So uh, it, uh, when, when, you know, I, when, when I basically realized that, you know, obviously not knowing uh, Dussel's work, right? So I'm speaking of when I realized that someone had already built in a way their career uh, doing a full-blown systematic, uh, you know, uh, critique of uh, so many aspects that I was having difficulties with, with Marxism, with critical theory and their limitations and their, their, their uh, particular intellectual provincialism, uh, despite their claims to universal, you know, uh, applicability and so on. Um, it, it was sort of like a, a perfect fit for me that, 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 uh, you know, if if we had been right in in uh, in the ideal scenario, I would have had a, a course on uh, on 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 Dussel's work, right? Uh, as, as an undergraduate, uh, and 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 now I am teaching Dussel's work. Yeah, <laughs> undergraduates, right? I just saw your syllabus that you posted. Yeah, and, and the courses are fantastic, and and students now they sort of like read. You know, it speaks to them. Uh, even when we read the stuff from from the seventies, right? Um, uh, so so we so Dussel and I when when I discovered Dussel, we shared that kind of like interest in criticizing a certain tradition that we were uh, uh, both engaging. And of course, Dussel's work engages more than just the German tradition, right? Uh, uh, and him, mean, it's so capacious. But that's how I sort of entered the conversation, um, uh, which at the same time connected. The, what was already, as I said, fully emerging for me, which was accounting for uh, a certain geopolitical analysis of, even at the personal level of what it meant for me uh, to be in the United States, uh, seeking a certain Latin American critique of European philosophy mm -hmm. right? or, or, or Anglo uh, North American, global North European uh, uh, intellectual circles. Um, because I, I simply didn't feel like, like my lived experience, my uh, uh, perspectives were uh, being uh, taken seriously in, in, in our seminars and so on. Um, uh, so, so like many of us that end up doing Latin American philosophy, 
you do it extracurricularly, right? Uh, at the undergraduate the level. Yeah, it's always on the side. And then, and then you realize that there is some, there, that there, there, there are people out there. And then, uh, so making that discovery is always, you know, the difficult part. And once you kind of begin, be, begin to really get in, you know, in the conversation, everything sort of really takes off on its own. And how, um, how, sorry, go ahead. I no, just they, was curious to, to hear how important it was that he was Latin American for your work. I mean, 100%, right? So um, I, I, and this is something that in some ways I continue to, to, uh, to, to kind of merge that, that so, so much of what I'm doing, even with my current work, I feel like I haven't gotten to the, to the point that I want to connect the dots, right? But uh, uh, it, 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 it had to, it had to be um, Latin American because I, I was simply trying to grapple myself with what it meant to be from Latin America, right? Uh, and, and then at some point, you know, uh, uh, you know, much later, of course, the very category of Latin America was put into question, right? Mm -hmm. But at the time, uh, it was very important to enter these debates that that it was a sort of uh, a meditation on on Latin America or or a, a, a meditation against the limitations of European philosophy from the perspective of a Latin American thinking the reality of, of our of, of uh, this side of the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, of course, which is the reality that that in a way I uh, I, I I associate my own uh, coming to consciousness, right? You know, anyone growing up, uh, you know, in, in, and this is this is obviously not the source of much much debate in many circles. But you know, Dussel starts very famously the uh, Filosofía de la Liberación, right? With uh, growing up in Chiapas, it's not the same as growing up in Paris or in New York. Uh, and, and and that geopolitical, you know, to, to read that right in 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 a philosophical treatise, uh, it was simply uh, mind blowing uh, at the time. Uh, and so the importance of the decolonial turn, right, comes along these lines, right? The necessity to kind of, uh, uh, as you know, the, the Caribbean Philosophical Association puts it so well, to shift the geography of reason, mm -hmm. uh, to make that move, to uh, to affirm uh, sort of uh, uh, my uh, uh, sort of cultural background, my uh, in my. Uh, personal inheritance as a valid source of knowledge, uh, which, which had not taken place at all in my formal education, right, uh, was, uh, was necessary. I mean, was, if anything, uh, you know, the only way for me to move forward uh, in a way, you know, with, with, my, with my own, um, if not authenticity, you know, with a certain level of agency, right? That I am trying to figure something about myself that speaks to me as opposed to me fitting my lived experience and thoughts into what someone else from a very different lived experience mm -hmm. and context sure. uh, thinks about the world. Uh, uh, so, so that was, um, 
Um, I can say much more about the, the sort of uh, importance of the decolonial yeah. turn, but that was sort of like how it began. Uh, since then, it has, you know, taken a, a life of its own. Yeah. I know for, for me, just hearing you, there a lot of things resonate with my own story, which is having done a master's in Argentina. It wasn't only until I did a master's here that I found out about Latin American philosophers. So I was in Latin America studying, you know, Foucault, uh, all the kind of the critical theory, uh, structuralist, the critical theory of all the, you know, Birmingham school, Frankfurt school. And then when I came to the United States, at, you know, the center of the proverbial empire, they said, oh, well, have you read these Latin American sources? You're from Latin America. And I was, I was pretty embarrassed to say, no, I, <laughs> I haven't. And so it's just, it's just interesting to hear kind of your journey geopolitical, you know, across geopolitical boundaries, but also, you know, what you said, the geography of knowledge. Yeah, no, certainly, right. So that, I mean, that in itself is one of the problems of uh, the coloniality of knowledge <laughs> that, that, uh, that in many ways, it's um, uh, perhaps even harder in many you know, formal institutions in, in Latin America to advance a critique of, uh, of the, of coloniality, of, of Eurocentrism um, uh, than, than perhaps in, in, in you know, some, uh, some uh, uh, circles uh, uh, such as uh, uh, you know, you know, certain institutions in the United States, right? Of course, this is in itself a problem. Uh, uh, and we, when it, and, 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 you know, we're all dealing with uh, the potential uh, co-optation of the very criticism of, 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 of coloniality, right? Mm -hmm. Because it emerges from institutions, uh, uh, or not because it emerges, because that's, that's technically not accurate, but because it is, this, it is so heavily disseminated through institutions of the global north, right? Um, so, I mean, uh, that, that is one of the current problems uh, being thought and worked out uh, in spaces that are interested in advancing epistemic decolonization on the one hand and just uh, decolonization in total, right? In its full complexity that, that uh, which is of course, you know, an, uh, a full, an even more uh, complex, larger topic. Yeah, shifting gears a little bit, I think um, our listeners would benefit from hearing kind of maybe some key authors that have been influential in your work um, from Latin America. I know for me, uh, I found out about other authors from people having these conversations like, hey, have you read this person? Have you read? So just maybe just, I know that's kind of a off topic, but I was just thinking maybe it would be a benefit to share some of these points. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I came across um, uh, Dussel's work. Um, well, a, a good friend of mine basically told me at, at some point, um, hey, have, have you read this uh, book, the, the 20 Theses on Politics? It's by this Argentine-Mexican philosopher and, and whatnot. Um, it's like us, um, Argentine-Mexican. <laughs> that's right. That's, uh, th there we go. There we go. So yeah, uh, we're, 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 we balance each other. <laughs> Me so, from Argentina and you from Mexico. Right? <laughs> indeed. Yes. Uh, 
So that's how I, I came across uh, Dussel's work, but I, I, I was already sort of, ex I had been exposed to like post-colonial theory in the United States and the uh, and something like uh, the, the South Asian subaltern studies um, group of, of, of critics of postmodern uh, uh, thought and, and, and so on. So, um, I think through my exposition to the subaltern kind of like current in post-colonial theory in, in, in global post-colonial theory, um, I was able to, in, uh, before encountering Dussel's work, I was able to encounter the work of Walter Mignolo, for instance, who had been involved with post-colonial theory uh, for a number of years, uh, including, uh, what at the time was being called the postmodern debate in Latin America, right? So there, there's actually a, a volume, um, I believe John Beverly may have put it together. Um, not, now I, I don't have it on top of my head, but it was called the postmodern debate in Latin America. Mm -hmm. And I had that, that book in my bookshelf before uh, hearing about Dussel's work. So uh, those are some of the, the figures that, that, that um, uh, sort of, I, I, I kind of began to, 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 to read and, and to, uh, that allow me to entertain these questions. Um, so I remember Mignolo had a, a, a publication in that anthology, um, John Beverly, uh, as I said, of, of the subaltern, uh, the Latin American subaltern school and, and so on. But, um, I mean, once, once I kind of like, uh, you know, and, you know, deepened my study of Dussel's work, it, it, it opened uh, you know, the full gamut of, 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 of figures. Not, uh, obviously the work of uh, Aníbal Quijano, uh, a Peruvian sociologist, um, the, the work of uh, Sylvia Winter, uh, the uh, Jamaican uh, philosopher, uh, uh, critic, uh, uh, whose work I have also been uh, uh, sort of really uh, close reading lately. Um, and, and, and sort of through that kind of uh, almost Caribbean turn, right? That, that, that I was able to do with, with Winter, uh, I became exposed to an even sort of broader uh, group of folks such as MSSR, right? From, from Martinique, uh, Franz Fanon, you know, which, you know, without a question, one of the uh, absolutely you know, more important uh, thinkers of, of colonization you know, in, in the history of, 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 of the 20th century, right? Um, so the, the, those are, uh, uh, I think, some of the, the, the basic uh, thinkers that I really, that I always end up uh, kind of returning to in, in, in many ways. Um, does that, I don't know, touch on no, what you yeah, were thinking? I think or, that yeah. No, I think that's great. I mean, I think for for many of us, it's it's important to hear these these influential Latin American Caribbean uh, thinkers who maybe don't get the same amount of airtime, even till you know it's changing, uh, but the same amount of airtime as the the European quote unquote canon does. Um, but shifting towards uh, a little bit towards the essay itself. It's titled Liberation Philosophy, Anti-Fetishism, and Decolonization. And we encourage our, our listeners to go ahead and read it. 
Um, but I'd love for you to talk a little bit about individually these three topics. So liberation philosophy, uh, that impression that you have, um, and also anti-fetishism and also decolonization, but why they matter when they're interconnected with each other. So maybe break it down each one and then kind of as they go, and it'll, it'll serve as kind of a trailer for those who want to go ahead and read the essay. Yeah, no, thank you for that, that question. Uh, yeah, so um, this, uh, this essay is, is, you know, it's a relatively short <laughs> intervention, right, that, that in, in many ways puts, to, puts so many of the things that I had already been thinking about for a number of years, uh, uh, almost as a as a testing ground, right? So uh, uh, the, the responses that it has generated already uh, uh, have been very rich and, and I'm very happy. And, and, and I invite uh, your, your readers and listeners to, uh, to please send me uh, all the, uh, their, their, their feedback because it has, it has been a very interesting discussion already. So um, I, I, I can certainly break it down the way you, you have asked me. Um, so, or take it however way you want. Yeah, that's just no. maybe a didactic way to do yeah. it. But it, it's a it's a very nice way to to do it because um, so uh, my at, at Rutgers I, I wrote my dissertation uh, on on critiques of uh, of of secularism. Right. So this is I think how I begin to enter the question of of, of religion and, and philosophy of religion and religious studies. Um, um, which took me one of the chapters in that in that work was on liberation philosophy, right? So, so uh, um, liberation philosophy and 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 what I think it's its critique of uh, you know of secularism in particular as a certain you know Eurocentric uh, kind of like form of governance or, or political ideology, uh, and and then just the, the the secular as an epistemic category more generally, right? So. I have, this is to say that I have been doing uh, some work on the question of religion and the secular as it pertains uh, to the tradition of liberation philosophy. But there's so many kind of like open questions and there's so many kind of like difficult tensions in that, that this is where this essay comes in, right? That, that, that this essay does not take part in my more recent or, or, or the work that I have that I have been working for over four years now mm -hmm. uh, so this is kind of like for me in itself an exploration of new ideas uh, and challenges that in some ways and really put me in a tough spot for the other work that I that I have been working on right mm -hmm. so one of them has to do with the relation between liberation philosophy and liberation theology right mm -hmm. So the, in many ways, that first category, liberation philosophy, um, con uh, in this essay, concerns uh, the extent to which this philosophical tradition, which is you know very much a a, uh, a, a, a bona fide uh, uh, you know quote unquote philosophical tradition, uh, and so being you know, highly uh, influenced, deeply influenced by the, 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 by all means, much more well-known intellectual tradition of liberation theology, right? So I'm sure your listeners are very well uh, versed in liberation theology. 
and they may not be as well versed in liberation philosophy, right? So um, in many ways, liberation philosophy in, in very mainstream circles, um, if it is known, it is, no, it is known as a kind of secular liberation theology, right? Or almost as a, as a mirror, uh, as, a, as, a, as a secularized mirror, you know, whatever we mean by that of liberation uh, theology. Um, so um, that reception that liberation philosophy has had, it, it, it's, it's to me right now, right at the, at the moment is, is a certain, it poses a certain problem, right? So one of the things that I wanted to do with the essay is simply see the extent to which one aspect of liberation theology appears in, in liberation philosophy. Um, and, and that is the question of anti-fetishism, right? So mm -hmm. we get to the second ca category in the title. Um, so the, in, 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 there's a section of uh, the, you know, the first section of, of the article, I kind of, uh, uh, which, you know, now I can say out loud, it's kind of like my, fa my favorite part of, the, of why, why I wrote this. Uh, I which part, the to, second part? I, yes, I believe it's uh, the coloniality of anti-fetishism. No, that that would be the, the that would be the third part. So technically, okay. like like the Liberation. part that is yeah, the part that is like the literary review, like liberation philosophy and the anti-fetishist method. Yeah, you know now now I will confess this in your podcast. <laughs> it was really the reason why I wanted to write this because yeah, I myself wanted to be clear on how this question of anti-fetishism that Dussel writes in, in, in one of his uh, late 1990s essays, he says, the, the anti-fetishist method is the first thesis of liberation philosophy, right? Yeah, I, I put that in highlights. Yeah, so I mean, that's extremely powerful uh, uh, defin definition, right? So uh, I have, I, you know, the, I was always intrigued by that. And, and you know, uh, if you read liberation philosophy, the text from the seventies, right? Uh, it has a chapter on politics, a chapter on on, on, on erotics, right, uh, uh, sexuality, a chapter on um, pedagogy, uh, and a chapter on anti-fetishism, right? And, and everyone always comments on the first three chapters, and the last chapter kind of like, it's, it's like the odd one, right? Philosophers are sort of very nervous when talking about religion, uh, and it sort of always gets left out. So no one really, uh, you know, to my knowledge, uh, had done like a like a you know like a review of the question of religion uh, uh, in in sort of the, the, the question of of, of anti fetishism in, um, in 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 Dussel's work as it sort of progresses from. Uh, you know, an, an early 70s, what, what I do in the article, which again is extremely short, it's, a, it's an outline, it's simply to follow uh, a couple of uh, essays from the 70s and how those ideas begin to merge in different publications, uh, basically up until uh, the early 90s, right? Um, so th that's what I wanted to kind of get, get clarity on. Um, so uh, I, I, I go, I start with uh, an essay um, of, let's see if I remember the, the, the Spanish I got it right title. here, just in case. Oh, uh, 
I, I think I, I have it. It's el ateísmo de los profetas de Israel y de Marx. Like the atheism uh -huh. of the prophets of Israel and Marx. Great title. So, I mean, this is, this is, uh, uh, in, in Dussel's work, I, this is a, a sort of like a classic example of his theological uh, writings, right? Uh, and this is another question, right? Dussel himself kind of like is very strict about separating the work that is, that is considered to be theological from what is considered to be philosophical uh, uh, for a number of reasons, right? So I start with this uh, quite explicitly theological account of, of, of fetishism uh, and, and, and what in, what it, uh, and, there, and the negation of the fetish, right? Uh, which, which is, which in the self terms is something like the atheism of the, of the idol, right? Mm -hmm. um, there, there is there a parenthesis on the, on the, this, on the, the necessity to separate the fetish from the idol and a number of people have done uh, work along those lines and, and, I, and, I, and I myself criticized Dussel for not sufficiently distinguishing the fetish from the idol, right? But, but you know, that in itself can be its own conversation. But uh, in, in this particular moment, anti-fetishism for him becomes uh, a certain ne uh, negation of 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 the false god, right? Of the mm -hmm. idol, um, uh, and and you know, without necessarily getting you know going into through the split uh, split uh, uh, hair splitting details of the whole conversation, you know, I sort of trace that in its uh, development through different uh, now philosophical texts that Dussel sort of uh, 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 puts forth. Uh, where you can explicitly see the influence from this early theological account of, of fetishism and therefore anti-fetishism. And, and in dialogue with Marx. Oh, in, in dialogue with, with Marx throughout, right? Yeah. So, so the, the second essay happens to be uh, a conversation with, um, with Marx, with, with, uh, basically, uh, you know, full-blown Marxist in the in the late seventies in, in Yugoslavia. It was a, a conference. Um, I, I talked I, I talked a little bit about the conference. I think Habermas mm -hmm. was, was there and, and a number of other big figures. Yeah, Moltmann, um, Metz, Ruben Alves. So it so, kind of emerged between philosophers, theologians, and, exactly, and, and and both. Right, right. Uh, uh, so you know, which which is a fascinating. Uh, there's a short, short review of that uh, conference uh, out there, uh, which you know, I, I'm not sure if 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 there is a conference proceedings for that event, right? But but that particular lecture from Dussel came out um, in a volume that it, that it, that also doesn't get read very much, right? The volume is simply called Religion, Religion, and it's not translated. But that that are that lecture kind of gets uh, reprinted a number of times. So I I I, you know, I go through the different editions and so on, uh, and and simply try to um, again trace uh, this idea of uh, a certain critique, a certain mode of critique as a form of anti-fetishism, right? Mm -hmm. that, that 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 later Dussel will retrospectively say. It was always the first thesis of liberation philosophy, um, and, of, and the, you know, the twist of the article is 
me following you know, contemporary uh, cultural anthropology of, of religion that, you know, of course, the, the, the fetish has always been a topic of anthropology, right? particularly anthropology of religion. Uh, but to follow the, the recent work of someone like uh, Lauren Matori uh, at Duke University, whose uh, four decades of, you know, of field work has allowed him to, to write a, you know, what I think is a, in a, a true masterpiece uh, volume uh, in, in, in his book called uh, The Fetish Revisited, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I simply follow the, the work of someone like Matori and, and a couple of other uh, uh, more contemporary, uh, contemporary uh, uh, just uh, uh, critics of the, of the concept of the fetish uh, to think about uh, something that Dussel never thought about when retrieving the concept of fetishism, which was the, the colonial roots of, of fetish discourse to begin with, right? Mm. Um, um, because if 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 it if it proves that you know the concept of the very concept of fetish right as a as a metaphor for uh, mystification as Marx does it or as a metaphor for uh, domination as Dussel does it uh, if if it if it if you know a more uh, let's say uh, you know, uh, honest and, 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 and rigorous understanding of the fetish, uh, because now we know that basically the, the entire European edifice on, on which the concept of fetishism is built, is, it's sort of like a one-sided, uh, biased, you know, a misapprehension of, of African uh, uh, religious formations, spiritual formations. Uh, once, we, once we have like a more, uh, uh, actually rigorous account of what uh, the things that go by fetish are, if, if, if at the end of that exercise, we cannot salvage the concept of fetishism as a critical concept, then my question simply was, what happens to that so-called first thesis of liberation philosophy? Mm -hmm. right? So gotcha. I, simply, I simply go to the, the, the anthropologist, you know, not being an anthropologist myself, to, to, to try to bring that critique of the fetish to liberation philosophy um, for the purposes of, of decolonization, right? Which is the last category. Uh, and here, of course, I, 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 I mean, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the critique of the coloniality of knowledge and, and the, you know, the very concept of the fetish would be a paradigm of the coloniality of knowledge, right? Uh, it, it's this very formate, the very formation of the concept in the connection of mercantile uh, you know, imperialism in Portuguese imperialism in West Africa and, and, the, and an emerging anthropology uh, as a field of study uh, uh, in, 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 in Europe vis-a-vis -vis Africa, right? Yeah. Um, so that, that was, that was kind of like a, great, a mouthful great. in a way. Great, no, but that's great. And, and in that last section, if you could just kind of unpack a little bit more, you talk about the importance and necessity for a South by South conversation. So if you could just kind of, what do you mean by that? I mean, I, I have some intuitions myself, but I would love for you to tell me Wonderful. what that looks like. So you read the paper. <laughs> I did. What, wonderful, wonderful. Yeah. yeah. No, I can, yeah, no, you're very much, you know, right on, 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 on point on, on the next the next topic. So so of course, right? Um, 
if if my idea was if Latin American philosophy is interested in 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 not just thinking its own reality, which which entails a critique of Europe, but in but in also thinking you know the global reality of the world uh, in a way that necessitates you know south south dialogues because that's one of the premises that of liberation philosophy that I also that I haven't been able to articulate in our conversation right that that Latin American philosophy has as as one of its aims in a way a global philosophy that includes you know dialogues with uh, other experiences of colonization, right? This, this is what we mean by South-South dialogues, that, that Latin American philosophers need to be in conversation with African philosophers, with Asian philosophers, you know, at all, you know, at all levels. This, this is such a general, you know, sort of a broad uh, 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 a stroke, right? But at all levels of abstraction and in different contexts, for us to really be able to, uh, um, in a way, that develop a... a uh, 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 globally valid uh, philosophy, right? So, um, if 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 that's one of the goals of liberation philosophy, uh, then of course we would be interested in um, not only in having the, of course, those dialogues, but in having the category, you know, having critical categories that uh, would not be problematic for. An, uh, uh, a fellow uh, comrade in another part of the world, right? So if fetishism is, a, if the concept of fetishism is a problem from the perspective of African philosophy, for example, then, it then I would find it uh, problematic that, uh, to build a critical project on uh, a potentially, you know, uh, a potentially nefarious concept uh, that 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 in 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 some ways we're opening the door for the reintroduction of colonial hierarchies and and maybe even uh, you know certain biases in our in our uh, sort of theoretical uh, frameworks, right? If we kind of don't really question uh, the the you know the historicity of of concepts and and really what they are doing. Uh, so to me, this is like a very you know, con internally constructive critique of liberation philosophy, you know, to to kind of like make sure that we're not reproducing uh, colonialist uh, concepts uh, in our uh, uh, attempts to to uh, put forward uh, you know a, a philosophy that that thinks you know. A philosophy that sort of uh, seeks to advance decolonization, right, uh, as one of its goals. Um, so um, there is some, there is like a like a thing there about uh, the concept of post-metaphysical, right? Yeah, um, the critique of fetishism being yeah. aimed towards the post-metaphysical. So, so this this has to do in particular with. Uh, with Matori's work that I engage, uh, and and so for him, um, it would yeah for for him um, uh, you know I'm going to summarize perhaps in a, in a sentence, but it, uh, it seems that you know uh, something like 
but he doesn't put it like this, so I, I really hesitate. But something like a, pot a potential solution to the problems of fetishism, mm -hmm. you know, can be found in in the abandonment of certain you know metaphysical notions about truth and so on. Or, and uh, so I kind of take that as a as a cue to think about uh, this whole post-metaphysical turn, you know, through the work of Habermas, right? Uh, that guy that is always hanging behind my, in the back of my head. Yeah. Um, uh, in, but, it, but in part, it doesn't come out of nowhere. It's because Dussel himself, in a way, his, the latest iteration of his work takes also a post-metaphysical turn that, that, that and, and this is really perhaps the most interesting part of Dussel's work, you know, since the 90s, you know, someone that has been writing since the 60s, right? I mean, we're talking, you know, 90s now may not seem like recent, but I mean, comparatively speaking, this is a recent, this is Dussel's recent, you know, work post 90s. Um, he himself has been kind of rewriting uh, the work from the 60s and 70s in a post-metaphysical, um, you know, quote unquote, that term post-metaphysical admittedly uh, is a bit of a provocation, right? Uh, because the, 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 the essay itself doesn't do justice to it. And, and again, it's a very short outline of a bigger project. But, uh, but the idea is if Dussel has been thinking or rethinking something like his ethics, right? Uh, er earlier we mentioned the ethics, the politics, pedagogy and religion. If he has already, you know, rethought his ethics and his politics, you know, in a way that abandons some of, you know, certain heavily metaphysical presuppositions that you could find in the text, so for such as um, Latin American ethics, right, uh, Etica Latinoamericana from from the seventies. If he has rewritten those in the nineties, more in conversation with. Uh, certain, uh, you know, what I'm calling post-metaphysical frameworks, um, the linguistic turn and so on, uh, in, an, in an engagement with Habermas's work. And, and you can see this, for instance, in, in the ethics of, uh, of liberation in the era of globalization, right? Mm -hmm. that, that big volume, you know, 800 page, uh, recently translated volume of Dussel, um, you know, that's, for, for the readers of Dussel, that's the second ethics, right? The first ethics is Ethica Latinoamericana, the heavily Levinasian, Heideggerian ethics. Uh, and then the Ethica is, uh, the, the second Ethica, the, the, the recent one is, is totally different. Um, um, Habermas, Rorty, Taylor, Vatimo. Right. So, so that's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that that's kind of like post-metaphysical Dussel, but of course it's not Habermas, right? So yeah. I'm being very provocative here, uh, just in the sense that, that you know, there is a, a gulf between Dussel and Habermas, even on, on the question of, of, of material corporeality, right? Which, which Dussel continues to, to hang on to correctly, I think. Um, so just to summarize it, the, the, my idea with the end of the essay is, is to put on the question, uh, the application of this post-metaphysical thinking to the question of religion, which is something that he has not done. Hmm. And as far as I know, uh, uh, no one else has uh, really done. Um, and of course, Dussel has done, has done this to the ethics. He has done this to the politics. 
but he has yet to do it to uh, any other sort of subfield of, of liberation philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, and uh, I mean, if if uh, if this is a project that I continue to, that I continue to be excited by, you know, I would love to explore, you know, what this would look like uh, myself, right? Uh, so my idea with writing this essay was simply to put these ideas out there, see what kind of a you know. Re a, 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 response we have you know uh and if it, and if the project seems uh, worthwhile you know, mm -hmm. to, to really expand this into a full-blown uh, intervention well we'll be looking forward to that i hope it does happen i hope so so uh um it's like i said you know i i um it has you know such a short article it, it, it's 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 in a way almost uh a, a very very humble uh, 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 intervention, and uh, I've gotten a couple of responses that that really have uh, sort of excited me and and really made me think uh, that that there can be something uh, uh, much bigger uh, to pursue in the in the near future. I hope. Yeah, well, we hope so too. Um, thank you so much for your time. Um, but before we go, I know you have some other work uh, coming out. But I would love to hear a little more just briefly for those who maybe are listening, who are educators, who are pedagogues, uh, your work with Lapis and, and the publication Lapis. Yes, yes. Oh, sure, sure. Um, just yeah, to so highlight something it. great that I know about you that maybe others of don't. Of course. <laughs> Wonderful. I see what you mean now. Uh, yes, yeah, so this is the, the Latin American Philosophy of Education Society. So it's, you know, it's a great group that I have been uh, collaborating uh, almost pretty much from its inception. Uh, I was, I was uh, lucky enough to get to know the co-founders uh, within their first year of, of the group's forming. Um, so uh, uh, at the time there were, uh, uh, I believe, uh, doctoral students at teacher's college at Columbia University. So this is a group of pedagogues, philosophers of education, uh, 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 you know, teachers training to be teachers uh, um, uh, um, who were interested in, 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 in bringing Latin American philosophy into uh, education schools, right? Into pedagogical spaces, into philosophy of education. Um, so um, I, have, I have found it to be, you know, a, 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 a very rich space to, to, to sort of think just uh, in very general terms, the contributions that Latin American uh, philosophy can do, um, especially in a place like, like the United States, right? So um, the group itself has a, a symposia about every year, um, different topics related to Latin American philosophy and education. Uh, uh, and the more recent one happens to be one that I co-organized uh, uh, and hosted at uh, Rutgers University, my, my previous institution. Uh, and the topic was learning from liberation theologies, right? So this is really, um, I think, uh, uh, quite uh, apt for your, for your uh, uh, listeners, certainly, because we, we, what, the topic for that year was, in, um, you know, how do we learn from the rich tradition of liberation theology and you know, apply that to whatever we are doing, right? So uh, uh, 
it was a, a, a really a pedagogical exercise for us that perhaps uh, uh, kind of helped us rethink what I would say was uh, you know, a, a certain uh, you know secular uh, bias to certain intellectual traditions, right? Uh, within not only within philosophy of education in particular, but you know just philosophy in general, right? Um, um, and so there, there is a publication, uh, the Lapis, as you mentioned, the, the, is the journal of the Latin American Philosophy of Education Society. Um, so there is, um, um, that just came out last week, I believe, um, a publication that is open access that you can find on their website, lapis.org. Um, and, and, and we have some of the proceedings from that conference, right? So. Uh, uh, a professor from your institution, uh, uh, Mark Lewis Taylor, has a publication who actually engages the work of Dussel uh, 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 and Dussel's uh, pedagogy of liberation, right? So that third chapter that I mentioned earlier uh, is engaged there by, by, by Taylor. Uh, um, Silvia Marcos, the uh, well-known anthropologist of religion as well, has a publication there, um, and a, a, a number of uh, other scholars um, as well. So perhaps your, your, your readers might, might find it useful uh, just because of the, the topic, right? So we're all, we're all uh, thinking about uh, uh, the, the influence of liberation theology, uh, just in, in very general terms, intellectual, generally uh, um, as an intellectual current of Latin American thinking um, and, and you know what what we can continue to learn from uh, today from them. So um, we'll make sure to drop the uh, link also in the description. But just wanted to thank you so much, Rafael, for your time, and um, we hope that there's more discussions to follow. I hope so. Thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure to to talk to you. Uh, As always, thank you. This has been an HTI production. For more information, visit us at htiopenplaza.org. The Hispanic Theological Initiative provides Open Plaza as a public service. The views expressed by the guests are their own. Their appearance on this program or any reference to a specific product or entity they represent does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by HTI.